VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to Wine Times, brought to you in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club. With me, comedian and wine novice, Susie Ruffle. And me, Will Lyons, the Sunday Times Wine Columnist and Vice President of the Sunday Times Wine Club. Throughout this series, we'll be joined by a handful of your favourite celebrities for great wine and great conversation. As always, I'll be sharing my expert wisdom on all things great related, from the history of vineyards across the globe to the science behind your favourite wines. And I'll take on my favourite role as apprentice of wine, the voice of the people, as I inquisitively ask the questions that we're all thinking. Like, if I put a little spoon in the top of a bottle of Prosecco, will it keep fizzy? Great question, Susie. Now, legend has it that actually... Uh, Will, you've got to save something for the podcast. When will he learn? We're here in Borough High Street's oldest and most marvellous 17th century pub, the George Inn. So here's to good wine and good times. Discussing and decanting with Susie and myself today is celebrity chef and baker Candice Brown. Candice found her way into our hearts and our screens in 2016 when she was crowned the winner of the Great British Bake Off. And can I say, it was an excellent series that year. And six years later, it's safe to say that we're still charmed by her personality and fantastic cooking. Candice is the author of two cookbooks and writes a regular column for The Times where she shares some of her favourite recipes. Not to mention she owns and runs a pub called The Green Man with her brother Ben, which is tucked away in the idyllic British village Eversholt. Hello, Candice. Hi. Hi. (laughs) What an intro. Well, that was, I think it was a vintage year of Bake Off when you were on it. I'm biased, but it was the best. It was a really yeah. good year. Yeah, last one on the BBC. So I mean, it was it was great. Yeah, we laughed from the moment we met, and we're still laughing now. It was very oh, it's so much fun. I had this conversation the other day, and someone was like, "Was it as good as like people say?" And I said, "It was better. We laughed so much." How nerve-wracking is it doing a show like that? I mean, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I mean, beyond terrifying. It was the whole thing with wearing kind of like lipstick and heels. It's kind of my suit of armour. Mm-hmm. Um, but I is think... that quite hard when you're baking? What, wearing heels? Yeah. I quite like it because I tiptoe otherwise. And like people still laugh, even when I'm demoing <laughs> or in the pub. I'm really, I really tiptoe and I don't know why. But I quite like baking in hills. Mary used to be like, your feet are going to hurt. You're going to get cold. And I'd be like, oh, it's because I'm shitting myself. <laughs> um, but it was just, oh, it was so much fun. But yeah, I was, I mean, beyond imposter syndrome of how am I here? What am I doing here? But I love the show so much. I love baking so much. I just wanted to be part of it. I never thought mm. I could do it. I never thought I could win it. There was none of that ever crossed my mind. I just wanted to be part of something I loved so much. And then I had a few 
interesting weeks, which was like, see, this is why. This is why you shouldn't be here. And then, like, I'd surpass myself on weeks where I really shouldn't. And then I'd be like, what? Like, how did that just happen? Because in practice, you were on the floor having a full-on meltdown, like sitting on the kitchen floor (laughs) having a cry over gingerbread pubs. Oh, it was bloody brilliant. I loved it. I loved it so much. So much so I went back and I did the New Year version and made a cake that was supposed to look like a lipstick. It looked like a lipstick, but not the sort of lipstick you'd want to put on your face, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Went really well. (laughs) Were you baking from when you were little? Yeah. So my nan, um, my nan Margaret, just was my favourite person in the whole world. I spent a lot of time with my nan and granddad in Edmonton. I'm from North London originally, proud Londoner um, from Edmonton, Tottenham, Tottenham born and bred. Sorry about that, guys, but I am. (laughs) It's there, it's in my heart. Um, And yeah, she was the most incredible cook, the most incredible baker. She did everything by sight. um, So never, I very rarely saw her weigh anything. She used to use one of those cups if she ever did need to measure anything, but I very rarely ever saw her use scales. And she just used to make the most amazing cakes and pies and things like that. And wherever she was, I was next to her. So I dragged the chair through from the dining room, the little flat, and I'd just stand next to her. And I suppose she used to make pies and give me the cut and we'd make jam tarts mm, or butterfly cakes. Yeah. And they're my earliest memories of baking. And I think yeah. nothing has really come naturally to me, but I feel like, and I really want to hold on to the fact that I feel like it's probably the most natural thing that I, that I can and am able to do. And I really hope I kind of took that from her. And do you find great solace in baking? Well, a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD. So it's kind of the things to do with my hands. And it's that one thing that kind of holds my attention. But also I do Lego as well. Because sometimes I can't really bake at like midnight or whatever. So I do some Lego and it's the same thing. I love it. Yeah, me too. I've got so much of it, but I keep having to pull Lego out the dog's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Like the other day, poor Hermione was like halfway down the hall. She had one arm, no hair. Oh, no. Um, But yeah, it's just... It's just my go-to thing. It's head down and it's just, I am so messy. I'm like a whirlwind. The chefs at the pub are like, what what is going on? You are like something else to watch, especially trained chefs and things like that. That's why I've never called myself a chef because I feel like that's a bit of a eat. So how much do you cook at the pub? So I live above the pub, so I'm there all the time. So fill in kind of when the chef's kind of like hours are a bit reduced. And as we know in hospitality, things are Mm -hmm. tough at the moment we start. So if I'm needed in the kitchen, then I'm in the kitchen. If I'm needed to waitress, I waitress. I pour pints. When the cleaners don't turn up, I clean. When the cellar flooded, I had to bail out the cellar. So when people say, how much are you there? I'm like, uh, my eye starts twitching. I'm like, uh, <laughs> run a pub, they said. It'd be great, they said. So yeah, all the puddings are all mine. And I mm. love kind of playing around. And when I'm developing recipes, they're normally the puddings, the specials. So special pudding of the day and is I something. people come because they want to eat. Your cakes, right? Of course, I would. do, and I love it when they order like three puddings or all of the puddings between like two of them. I'm like, this is what you should be doing. And also, possibly order a pudding first because if you fill up after your main, you're going to be fuming. (gasps) Yeah, you don't have to actually have a main, do you? Just have a pudding in a... Yeah, pudding pudding. pudding. Heretical on a wine podcast. We could have a pudding in a coffee, couldn't you? Well, I think you should go (laughs) starter pudding, dessert wine. Dessert wine, yeah. pudding... Savory, probably another pudding. <laughs> Basically, just load of everything that I can dip between. But a glorious sip of pudding wine, so, oh, so sweet wine. Yeah, 
match with the pudding is great. So, so yeah, lovely. Yeah. We've got a couple of really nice ones on. It's it's funny. I feel like a bit like, I feel like Del Boy when I'm like, do you fancy dessert wine? We've got. And I literally like Del Boy trying to sell a bloody dessert wine, like me <laughs> with my sticky your... toffee pudding. But I'm like, it goes lovely. <laughs> I'm trying, it's funny because it's the one style of wine that always has that reaction. Like if you serve it at home, people are like, "Ooh, it's a pudding wine." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it because we only, yeah, but we only really drink it at high days, holidays, or oh, Christmas, really. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, Christmas um, start the day, end the but day. It's, like, it's surprisingly popular, and yeah. I love it. That's yeah, great. it's yeah, really, so. it's really, really nice. And what's your go-to drink? Anything that's wet, joking. <laughs> so I'd say I really love a nice white, like Sauvignon Blanc in the summer, things like that. But I love a rosé with yeah. ice as well. Mm. So rosé a la piscine, correct? Yeah. But I'm a red girl and this took me a while. Took me a while to get into the red. I used to be like, oh gosh, no, can't drink it. Awful, awful, awful. Then I went to a restaurant and I had the most incredible steak and a glass of red wine with my steak and... That was it. Big trouble from then on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. I love an Argentinian Malbec. Oh, fantastic. Um, or a French, a Beaujolais, something like that. Um, okay. yes. so I think we've got some wonderful wine choices for you today. I'm very, oh, yeah. very excited. So are we starting with the champagne, Will? We are. So yes, please. Oh, you got my memo then, because that's all I start <laughs> with. <laughs> we have a bottle of, um, of champagne. Now, I haven't, I haven't pre-opened this, so my attention was caught there by the lovely... Uh, it's got sort of almost like an amber hue, hasn't yes, it? Yes, I was going to say it's a little bit and... kind of darker. Do you know what? This might sound silly. It's not as fizzy as other yeah. champagnes and things. Sometimes they're so overwhelmingly bubbly. Yeah. Does that kind of yeah, make yeah, sense? Yeah, they... I don't yeah. feel like that feels like that. Well, there are three great varieties you make champagne from. Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier. And the Chardonnay gives it the sort of creamy texture. The mm-hmm. Pinot Noir, the strength, the dryness mm-hmm. and the power. And the Meunier, the floral aspect. And this is a blend of Meunier and Pinot Noir. And it's actually from quite a small producer. So it's not from a famous house like mm-hmm. Bollinger or Verve Clico. It's made by Didier and Carine Chopin. I think their first vintage was in 1989. And if you think all so It's quite young. Th- very young, very young. We're in the Marne Valley. But it's just, it's delicious, isn't it? So right, two things. Mm. Why <laughs> Brute? When it's called Brute, I don't really understand that. Yep. And then um, also, what makes it a vintage? Now, good. Great <clears throat> questions. We Two love this good sort questions. of thing. Might have to go and look them up. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the brute just means dry. So there's a whole scale, a whole sort of lingo of champagne. So some aren't brute then? No, so demi-sec is sweeter. Right, mm-hmm. gotcha. But all you say is brute will be dry. So mm-hmm. it'll, it'll feel dry or saline, sort of almost bitter on the palate. Because sometimes they are overly drying, aren't yes. they? The vintage... Now, this doesn't have a vintage, but the vintage that you see on a bottle of wine, so say if you take a bottle of, I don't know, just take anything, Chateau Los Vascos from Chile, and it will have 1991 on it or 2018. That's the year the grapes were grown and picked. Now, in Europe, they start growing in March and you pick them September, October, and then you make the wine. So wine is from a single year. That's why it's an agricultural product rather than an industrial product, because you've got two processes. Well, you've got to grow the fruit and the fruit has to be to a certain standard. Then you have to make the wine. Now, if it's a non-vintage NV, it means they've used grapes or wine from several different years. Ah. Not a bad thing because you could have hot summer in 2015, a cool summer in 2016, and then hot in two, or it could be very wet in 2017 all of those summers will give the fruit 
a different flavour. If you imagine apples, mm. with a hot summer, the apples will be, they won't have as much tart acidity as in a cool year. And then you make the wines, and then you can blend the wines. So something like Paul Roger Champagne, they will blend reserve wines into it from different years, and that's why it's called non-vintage, which is really the real skill of blending, is, is a proper skill there. Is this the sort of thing that someone would do if we had a very, very wet summer and it meant that the, the, the there wasn't a great crop is, absolutely is it to sort of absolutely. if you've got some that aren't quite so good is this what lifts the flavor yes yes you get some of the really good stuff from the other years yeah. and it lifts up the whole barrel potentially that could happen this year because it was so hot yeah so there could be interesting crops so it within... was so so hot there could be not so many enough to do a vintage so they'll blend from other years yeah so the great oh. sort of challenge for english sparkling wine is obviously finances behind it. Mm. So if you imagine making wine and then putting some aside, yeah. um, costs you a lot of money. Right. But the Champagne have a 200-year head start yeah. on England, so they have lots of reserve wines they can draw upon. Oh, what? So they yeah. might have some... This but sounds not... stupid, but what would they... Would it be like in a barrel? Yes. Like how would... yeah, yeah, they would keep yes. it in a barrel yeah, yeah. and then just... Yeah, absolutely. Is it someone <laughs> that understands yeah. it that would just literally go, well, have a little bit of that, yeah. and then a little bit of that, and let so me try that. That's bloody see... delicious. Let's bottle it. Yeah, bottle it. Exactly. I've actually done it. I've, 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 I've sat with them in, in, in South Africa, actually. It's an amazing... We, we, we were blending Sauvignon Blanc, and you had samples, a whole room of samples, not just from different years. Those were from different vineyard plots. So the fruit, although it's the same grape variety, tastes slightly different. So it's because a bit like soil. baking, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the, and the aspect and the climate. Right. So and, like and a you're, hybrid. It's, but it's like mm. adding a bit of spice, isn't it? You say, yeah. hang on, let's do a bit more. And in Bordeaux, all the wines there are a blend. They're a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and, you know, the Merlot grape variety will offer that sort of supple, silky texture. The Cabernet, a bit more blackcurrant character. Mm. And it becomes a real art. And the blend is art. The same as Scotch whiskey. They were never like run out of wine varieties because there's so much blending that can be done with all. Yeah. So you, there's not going to be a point where well, we've done all the wines now. No. It can be because there'd be so many that could be blended, but it would just be non vintages. And we always say on this podcast, it's very difficult to sort of break it down. But you have not only a blend of different years if it's a non vintage, but I was talking about a blend of different grape varieties, which yes. give a different style of flavour. Going back to champagne, if it's non vintage, it means it's a blend of, of different years. Oh, do you know what? Great question, great answer. Yeah. yeah. I think all around well done. This is really, really lovely, actually. I like it. Yeah, and also, a big kind of shout out <laughs> because I think English sparkling wines are just brilliant at the oh, moment. We stock a couple them. in the pub. And people ring up and they go, can you put a bottle of um, Moe on the table? Or the, and we go, like, we don't have that. We've got our winists. Have a look at it. And they're like, oh. We're like, honestly, they are delicious. Kind of the right. and things like that. Really, really up there. Really delicious. We've had some amazing ones on this show. I um, think it's really lovely. It's one of the nicest ones yeah. I've tried for a while. Because sometimes if I drink, you drink champagne, sometimes it's too much. You know, when it kind of sits a bit yeah. there. Yeah. And you're like, this is very drinkable. Yeah. I think I that mean, it can be a bit sickly as well if you yes. have, like you end up feeling a bit like for me with champagne I never want more than like one or two glasses because I find Otherwise. it makes me quite drunk quite quickly. Yeah. So if you're going to have one glass of it you want it to be yeah. a really but nice glass. I think drinkable. Totally, yes. yeah. And it doesn't have that sort of brioche yeasty warm biscuits. No, not yet. at all. It's more sort of if I be sorry I'm being a bit too technical but it's it's like white fruit, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's appley, yeah. Fruit I, I like more it. fruity than biscuity. Yeah. There you go. I've made it less highbrow. <laughs> More fruity than biscuity. And a lovely glass of wine. And a lovely glass of wine. Where are we going to next? Well, we, we have a We've been in champagne. We have a rosé. Where, where from? We're going to the Languedoc. So we're going uh, west. 
and we're in um, we're just west of Montpellier. And I have to say, we are being incredibly spoiled by the Sunday Times Wine Club because it's one of the most expensive rosés in the world, I believe. Oh, I'm very excited. <laughs> Clos de Tom. So, it's a sort of David Beckham of, of rosé, maybe? I mean, pass okay. it over. Give me a straw. <laughs> pretty, pretty. Um, Look at that bottle, that's, though. That's very cool. It's so sort of my, my yeah. brother's fiance Sophie, this is what... So we, we love rosé and we'll have a glass of rosé together and things like that. But if we go anywhere and we see nice ones, we buy them for each other oh, and nice. things like that. So, Sophie, I'll have to let you know what this one's like and... Uh, I mean, Maybe that, treat you to a bottle. That bottle is stunning, oh, wow. though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's sort of a bit Art Deco-y, yeah, isn't it? Where it's sort of squared at the and edges. Look at that beautiful colour. Yeah, it's not. Pale. It's not very. It's so pale. It looked like it met oh. a red berry once. Although I mentioned David Beckham, it's the wrong shape ball with this because it's made by a, a very famous wine producer who makes great wine called Gerard Bertrand, who played rugby for France, was a great player. And he makes a range of wines in the Languedoc. So we're in the south of France, sort of southwest below. Oh, wow, we. Yeah. And this is from a place called Cabrier. He is pushing the boundaries. This redefines rosé. That is the best rosé I've ever tasted. I I fully agree. That is incredible. This is is like the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in terms of (laughs) the levels of... (laughs) That's a good description because that stadium is spectacular. Yeah. No, so... The blend is Grenache, Sanso, Syrah, Mouverdre, uh, Viognier. It's from 11 different plots, wow. 12 hectare size. And where he makes it, I think, I believe, if you look back in the history books, which I love doing, wine came from there in the 14th century. But again, the, the care and attention to detail in this. It's not far off colour-wise. It's not far off the champagne colour-wise. Well, did you see what I just did there? Yes, I you just you picked, picked up the wrong glass. picked up the wrong glass. But you're right, it's got this sort that of is. glorious amber, pale salmon pink colour. Absolutely that is stunning. So good. Now, Susie likes going to fine dining restaurants. I just... This is I one mean, to take the wife to. Yeah, this. it is. I mean, at fine dining, I just love going out for dinner. Me too. I love going out. My, my wife and I, we've got a two and a half year old. And so, you know, when mum's like, I will have the baby, it is... Where Some, are we eating? Yeah, it, that's the first thing I think. Where are we eating? I don't really mind about doing much else. We don't need to be out for hours and hours and hours. We just have two hours of conversation where we remember each other. Oh, <laughs> and hi. basically hi. Yeah. <laughs> and basically talk about holidays we once had and our daughter. That's it. That's the only conversation. Um, but, uh, but this yes, this a, would be a treat. A rich starter, like a souffle. It's, it's very, just, almost creamy. Yes. Like almost smooth. creamy. It's structured. And actually, if we were blindfolded, and we and we and we tasted oh. this. We wouldn't think it was a rosé. No, it's, no, it's like it's no a way. fine wine. It's an exceptional wine. It really and, is. Um, but it's actually quite rich, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's you, you, you know I would think you want that with the. I feel really, really fancy drinking. <laughs> it demands a white and table. Do you know what? Cup, we so. are fancy. We are. Do you know we are fancy? We really are fancy. What would you if you were cooking mm. and um, someone gave you this bottle of wine mm. and was like? Give me a dish around this. What would you go for? Oh, gosh. Do you know what? I'd go kind of small little picky bits. I don't Mm. think it can sit side by side with a starter or a meal and a drink. I think little gougers, little almost savoury shoe Mm. pastries filled with a really light cheese. Maybe just little canapes with a, a whipped 
like a whipped cream mousse I think creamy, or something like, like that. scallops with creamy. Oh, gosh. Even something like a bellini with a little bit of yeah. really lightly smoked salmon mm. and a nice bit of whipped, sort of whipped cream cheese because it's, you don't want to ruin any of that. You're absolutely right. It's just the simple things because mm-hmm. actually if I was with in a sort of really geeky wine tasting uh, class, you would do very simple food with great, yeah. with, with, with great wine because you want the wine to be the centrepiece. I yeah. was going to say, I wouldn't drink yeah. that with a meal because I would not want anything that I ate to ruin that at mm. all it's so delicious but where i say it redefines rosé because you think of rosé and i don't really want to spend more than 10 pounds a bottle on a rosé as a wine of refreshment mm-hmm. mm. of you know you serve it with ice you just it, first it, night it, of your holiday yeah first night of the holiday on the balcony exactly. catching up with old friends you don't want to think about it too much this is a, a fine wine that mm. you want to think about the nuance it will you, know, you come back to that over the course of an evening and get more flavors out of it and you sent, I don't know if I would like to drink that as I would a traditional rosé outside, barbecue on, oh, maybe nice. Spurs in the background Absolutely. playing. Do you know Mighty what, Well, Liverpool. I think this might be over, what have we done, maybe 15 episodes mm. together now? Mm. This might be my favourite wine we've ever had. Mm. Big. It is Love that. really good. Well, it's so delicious. Should we do the Antiques Roadshow bit where you ask me <laughs> how much it's worth? <laughs> <laughs> So I brought this wine in. I found it in the attic. Um, don't know whose it was, but how much is this worth then, Will? So, Candice, if you were looking to uh, insure this wine, uh, you'd be looking at a market value of around £165 a bottle. We've just blown the budget in one yeah. glass. Well, I feel very But I thought it was, it was worth it. Honestly. We've really treated you. Yeah. You really have. But do you know what? I would buy that as a gift for someone. Yes, yes definitely. It is absolutely... Because sometimes you do buy fancy wines and you think, oh, this yeah. is lovely. Oh, look at what I've got yeah. you. And you drink it and you're like, great. Oh, <laughs> I should have just got you some flowers. And it's also fun because Delicious. it's a showstopper because it's it's the first real rosé of this can. I mean, there, there are others, by the way, that are on this sort of spectrum, but it's you can save them. Look, this is, is this the greatest rosé in the world? Could be. We've come a long way from um, a £5 bottle of Echo Falls in Weatherspoons, <laughs> yeah, haven't we? Yeah, we really have. I, so I used, obviously, growing up, would go out and things like that. was born and brought up in a pub and things. We'd go out and we'd drink wine and things. Just, I love a rosé. The pinker, the better. I am such Oof. a rosé snob now. Yes. Yeah. I am like, oh, my God. I, before I've even drank it, I'm like, it's too pink. Yeah. <laughs> where's the salmon? Where's the, where's the pale yeah, yeah. salmon colour? Yeah. Like, it's so funny how those... Change, but, how those tastes change and things like exactly, that. But what made it so pink? Well, Colouring, the sugar? Yes, it's the, it's the way you extract. So there are two ways to make rosé, but the more general way is you've got red grape varieties. So all the colour comes from the skin. You pick your red grape varieties and then you just gently press them, if you imagine. And it's the press, the amount of, you know, it's a bit like squeezing out a tea bag. Right. That's the amount of colour you get. Oh, okay. is Wine Times with Susie Ruffle and Will Lyons. And we'll be back with more great wine and conversation before you even get the chance to top up your glass. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You mentioned you like red wine. I do. Good. I do. <laughs> Good. But it's going to take, take a lot, Will, because that is ridiculous. Yeah. I and I will I finish it. <laughs> Good for you. Well, it's great, isn't it? It's one of your five a day. Precisely. Yes. Well done. So we're leaving France. We're going 10,000 miles away, all the way down to southern Australia. So we're in the Barossa Valley, uh, sort of just north of Adelaide. Okay. And this is a really crowd-pleasing, easy-to-drink red wine called now, Redheads. Now, I, I immediately like it, yes, because now Will doesn't agree with me here, but I tend to judge a lot of wine by the label. If I think a lot of people do. If there's a dog with a monocle, I assume that dog with a monocle understands good wine. Uh-huh. And that uh, monkey with the crown on. So it's a monkey with knows, a crown. He knows yeah. a good wine when he's tasted it. Oh, that smells good. The colour of it as well. So it's opaque, dark colour. Oh, I like that a lot. Now, it's Did called like Coco Roti, which is a play on words because the grape varieties here are Syrah and Viognier which is really famous in its homeland in France, in a place called Cote Roti. Um, And I believe, Susie, this is part of the case. Oh, is it? Yeah, there's a Wine Times Times case that you can get. So listeners, if you're thinking, I want to see that label with a monkey with a crown on, you're right to think that. And it's really good stuff. Now, it's just got this lovely silky black fruit, isn't it? It's so, so smooth, so silky. It's... I was expecting it to be a bit heavier. Mm. Yes, I agree. Because of the colour. Yes. But that is so, so light. Oh, Will, you've surpassed yourself today. I have to say, this would go down well in the pub because it's it's just drinkable, isn't it? That's the word I would use. Supple. It was exactly this style of wine which originally seduced the British public in the sort of late 80s, early 90s to the wonders of Australia. It's just fruit, isn't it? Fruit, silkiness, hedonism. If it was a cake, it would be Black Forest Gatto. I was something. just yeah. about to say that. Yeah, Black Forest Gatto. And yeah. do you know what? I use a lot of um, sort of alcohol in my baking and things yes. like that. And that sounds in a Black Forest Gatto, like really, really reduced down with some cherries and yeah. stuff in the middle of a cake would be just delicious. So things um, like, you know, when people go, oh, look at the legs on it. Does that sort of thing count? So that is probably the question I get asked. The second most prevalent question I get asked after what is a good wine. <laughs> The PC way would be tears. But that has nothing whatsoever to do, sadly, with the quality or the taste and flavour of the wine. It's literally just the alcohol evaporating. That's all it is. So the, from, from the when side people of the say glass. the legs on it, it's when you sort of yes, swirl, so you it around swirl it around and then they drip And then you can see the legs yes. or the tears or the coming tears, down. Yeah. yeah, look at that. But it means, it means nothing. Yeah, there's it, it, no indicator of quality 
or how the wine would taste. So if someone says, look at the legs on that, you know they know nothing about wine. That's good to know. You go, thank you very much. Yeah. I've been working out. Thank you, I do spinning. I walk a lot. And it smells great. That's as well it smells really good it's really really lovely black fruit i think just yeah. keep it simple it's just black fruit yeah. is it yeah black. really really lovely letting wine breathe is that yes. a myth especially no. red wine so but it's not an exact science so i what i would say is anything that you buy sort of under 10 pounds a bottle you don't need to sort of decant or let it breathe that they are they are produced in a way where they should and be and decant means pouring it into yeah. something else yeah but pouring it into a jug or a decanter um, they're produced in a way that, you know, that they're for immediate consumption. Now, if it's a fine wine, a great wine of the world, you do have to decant it. And a- as you pour it into the decanter, but we're only talking about a, a, a very small percentage of the, world's, of the world's great wines, sort of over £20 a bottle, the flavours, the aroma will unfurl. And it will, if you go back to it over 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, mm. it will smell different and the bouquet will come out. And also, the bitterness and the sharpness will dissipate a little. So I would say great wines, great red wines, should always be decanted about an hour before. And if you've got one of those nice decanters like me, where you've got the sort of ball that you put in the top if you want to keep it, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You keep the ball off, the wooden ball off, off, so so it really is letting everything get to it. So if it's... um, if you spend a lot of money on a bottle of wine and you've taken it home, and it doesn't actually... You think, great, it's almost quite closed and tight. Hmm. Give it a vigorous pour into a decanter and just leave it sitting with as much air as possible. So it's letting the air get to it. And it's like like taking a cheese out of a fridge and letting it warm up to room temperature. Suddenly you'll taste it. It will taste Mm. much better. It's like taking a cake out of the fridge. and You shouldn't be serving cake from the fridge. Mm. It should be moist. Absolutely. (laughs) Does it matter with white wine? Does white wine need to breathe? Some white wines you can. Is it when you're sort of at the upper end of the... Yeah, I wouldn't get too worried about it. I think okay. you can, yeah. But I like to decant all of my wines because I think it's it looks nice, doesn't it, to have a decanter? And it table. looks sort of fancy if you've got people fancy. over for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's nice. Aspirational. That's what I am. I'm, I'm <laughs> nothing else. With a new house. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I've got. A, that's the thing. First thing into... you bought, decanter. Modern style or Victorian or Edward? Do you, do you like the old-fashioned cut glass? I'd go, yeah, I'd go antique. Yeah, I'd go antique. As opposed to sort of, yeah. Yeah, the, this sort of business, the, which yeah. Will's just sort of done a, a body roll, which yeah. is confusing for was, all of us, if I'm honest. It was very, very, very beautiful. Watch out, Strictly. No, I'd go antique for sure. I'd get yeah. myself down the antique shop. And they yes. remind me of like Nan and Granddad and like, yeah, the old, exactly. like, like you I, see them in the pubs and things like that. But I, it's an important part of wine, is the romance of it. Yeah. And you know, talking about decanting, it's not just about the gustatory experience. It's nice to pop the cork, pour it in. Unless it hits you in the yeah. eye, then that's <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> very sad. I think it looks really nice. And it's, and it's, I like I mean, the we think about this a, a lot yeah. as well about the sort of memories. Yes. Uh, of, of that sort of thing. Those things are important. It's what I'm trying to do with the guys at the pub as well, is when people order the wine, take it over to the table, do that whole theatrical, show yes. them before you open it. They're, but they're funny, they get embarrassed. Mm. Like Even my brother won't go and do it. I'm like, Ben, so I'll go over and do it. I'm like, you ordered this, open it at the table, show them, would you like to try it? And yeah. things like that. Yeah. Even if they've got no idea, that whole thing is so special. Yes, yeah, I totally so agree. so lovely. And it makes you feel... Good and nice, yeah. and then you get the whole jokey thing with the man going, "Oh, well, she's going to choose it anyway." Yeah. The partner's going, "Oh, well, she's going to do it." Or like a big group of people, you get one person going, "Yep, yeah, I'll try it." Oh, yes, that's lovely. Yeah. Like it's just 
I don't know. There's something so special about it. And even I get nervous when the sommelier hands me the wine. Do you? It's quite nervous making, isn't it? When yeah. But the etiquette is just to sniff it, by the way. Yes. And then what you can do if you really want to show off. This is not when you're at the pub, but if you're at somewhere really. Oh, I'm going to do this when I go. I mean, if you're you're (laughs) the sort of child, you would say to the sommelier, "Do you mind if I just taste that?" (laughs) And then think, "Oh, this this person knows what they're talking about." What do you yeah. is in order saying? Can I taste that before I buy the bottle? So, he, so, he, so the, the the sommelier will pour it for you, and mm-hmm. the etiquette is just to sniff it, right? Because so what you're doing is it. is you're doing it for you're there to detect whether it's correct, corked. it's corked, or 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 you know it's just it's not tasting right. So, question on that: I know when a wine has corked, yeah, but what does that mean? Corked is actually a disease of the cork called TCA. Oh yes, yes, yes. And that's so, um, so the cork is disease, the actual the actual stopper, and then that disease imparts into the wine. And there's two ways you'll spot it. The first one is it smells like an old swimming pool with no water in. So dank, like the drains. But I don't mm, think people, dang, that's I don't know people know what dang. drains are anymore. Um, but the, the the second one is a corked wine would always get worse. So I've got a quite embarrassing story. I was doing a really fancy wine tasting. I opened up fancier a than this. We're being it was. I mean, well, it was. Well, we had the closest. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine it. And um, so I opened up the wines, and the and the Burgundy was slightly corked. Very. Can very, you tell it immediately? Yeah, very, very. I thought, well, that. That's an incredibly expensive and rare bottle of so wine. So you knew it corked. Were you hoping because it was just yeah? I was gonna wine. I was gonna leave it for an hour and then go back to it and see what happened. Because it would have got worse over the hour, and then yeah. you would have said, "No, we can't serve this." When uh, you say expensive, how expensive? Well, it was more the rarity of it as well. Hundreds no. of pounds, oh, hundreds gosh. of pounds. And then so someone who won't I won't name, but was a master of wine, said, "Can I go down and taste your wines?" I said, "Of course you can." came back into this room, we're all sitting there. They said, you do realise one of your wines is corked, don't you? <laughs> and I was like, well, how do you get out of that? I was like, yes, actually, this doesn't sound believable. I did realise, but it was, I was just waiting to see how it developed. But within that hour, the wine was undrinkable. Really? So it had gone from a slight mustiness to, to completely horrendous. collapsed. Yeah, Ooh. completely collapsed. And uh, I was made to look a fool. When actually I was actually doing it for, but that's how you'll know with a corked wine. So if you ever get in, in an argument with a with a um, a waiter or, or a sommelier, just say, just well, let's, let's just leave it and see what happens. We'll see. Yeah. So if you were a winemaker and you were bottling up all your wine yeah. and you had all these corks, is there a chance that if you if one of your corks yeah, had this disease in it, that all of them would then if they I think it, it can infect things, cork. and also the TCA you can get in other plastics as well. So if you ever go to a supermarket with a master of wine, they start saying, oh, the the, uh, the carrots are corked. You can get corked carrots or corked tomatoes because the container has, has this sort of TCA. If you said that to me, I would say you're drinking too but, much. But, <laughs> this is why the redheads have a screw cap. Because if you're a producer, I mean, to just, just take, for example, screw Coca-Cola. Cap. Coca-Cola, if one of their cans out of the millions they produce every week was faulty, they'd be like, right, stop it. We're going to get a new can supplier. The wine world put up for this. For se- we still put up with it for centuries. So what's your thought on like screw caps? I think they're fantastic for wines of immediate consumption. Very nice. Anyway. So, Candice, what is your favourite of today? Oh, it's a tough one. I love the reds. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's really good. Champagne's beautiful. But I just think the whole everything about that rosé has just blown my mind a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's that is absolutely 
yeah, I agree. I think it's the best rose I've ever tasted. It's the Harry Kane of roses, is it? And, he, and he's pretty special. Very special. Cheers, 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 cheers. That's it from us. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Wine Times in association with the Sunday Times Wine Club. Produced by Anya Pierce and the series producer is Ben Mitchell. You can follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Just do this via your favourite podcast app. We'll be back next week with more delicious wine and another great guest. Remember that all of the wines we tasted today are noted in the episode description and you can get your hands on all of them from the Sunday Times Wine Club website. From all of us here at The Georgian, thank you very much for listening and we hope to see you next week for more Wine Times. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.